Welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be chatting with Megan Harrison, Executive Head of Transactional Banking at Momentum Metropolitan. Momentum Metropolitan are specialists in long and short term insurance, asset management, savings, investments, healthcare administration, health risk management, employee benefits, and rewards programs. What a mouthful, Megan. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks and yourself, Stacey. Thanks very much for having me. Of course. I'm good. Thanks. How was your long Easter weekend? It was really great. I actually got uh, the opportunity to go to Clarence. Um, and it's such a reminder around how beautiful our country is. Yes. So it was very relaxing, um, which is always good to have a break. Yeah, I feel like with the pandemic, we've gotten the chance or the nudge to really explore our own country. And South Africa is just, I think, one of the most beautiful countries out there. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dive right in. You have a very interesting journey. You've you've run a few businesses. You've built a few businesses. I'm really excited to just dive right in. Tell me all about how you got to where you are today, Megan. Oh, Stacey, um, I don't think, you know, my, my journey has been by design. I've never mm-hmm. really been the type of person that was very clear in what I wanted to do. And I wasn't lucky enough to have, you know, these specific skills that made it obvious where I was heading. So I think my journey has been an evolution and it's really been down to exposure. And from that exposure, learning about what I like to do Mm -hmm. and, you know, what I think I am good at. Um, I think it's also to some part been driven by my personality. I like a challenge um, and I'm, a, a, you know, an optimist by nature. So I always, Love look, it. For, <laughs> yeah, I always look for opportunities where, um, you know, I feel challenged and I, you know, inherently believe that it can be done. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to enter into an uncertain space. Um, and also just really like doing things that interest me and where I learn and where I feel I'm kind of moving forward. So I suppose my most important first job was when I worked at APSA. Um, and I started out in, you know, strategic projects. And it was there that I kind of figured out that I could make things happen. You know, I had an ability to mobilize like a big system. Um, And that was something I didn't know. And and so, you know, it was um, kind of quite rewarding to find out that I could do it. Um, And then over time, I I started to find that I enjoyed building out concepts. So not only did I want to make them happen, but I also wanted to, you know, come to the party with some ideas, but also build on the ideas. Um, And that got me into kind of the business building uh, space, but also into the product space. Um, And I really enjoyed that. And APSA gave me lots of opportunities to, you know, think about new products and take new products to market. Um, And then the third thing I think I learned from APSA was um, I really just found the business of banking interesting. And and I also liked the commercial aspect um, of the job. And so I liked, you know, to drive the business and help the, the business make money, but also provide value to, to clients. Um, and so that taught me that I really wanted to, you know, be in charge of a business and I wanted to build businesses 
um, and I wanted to lead businesses. So, so that was quite instrumental like, in figuring out what I wanted to do. And then different, um, you know, uh, experiences at different companies added to that. So, so when I was at Discovery Vitality, you know, I was really influenced by how they thought about things. So they've always been so bold in their ideas. And for them, it's really been about the headline. And if the headline is sufficiently compelling, then, you know, everything that you do in the back end is to make that headline work. Yeah. And that was such such a deviation from, you know, how Apps thought about it, which was really you had an idea and then by the time you got to market, it, so it different. had become, exactly, it had become diluted. Um, and so I really, um, through that experience, started to think about kind of the boldness of idea. Um, and also was then exposed to, you know, behavioral economics. Um, and that's influenced me a lot in terms of uh, thinking about product, but also thinking about the client experience. Uh, there's so many default behaviors that we as humans um, kind of fall into the trap of. And if you design and like through acknowledging those default behaviors, your, your opportunity for success does increase. And so that was, you know, quite formative in terms of how I thought about product. I think, you know, when I think back, the next company that really influenced me was SA Taxi. Um, you know, SA Taxi. Such a change. How did, how did you <laughs> land up there? Um, so, so I had been at Investic building, you know, a business that we called Investic Money and, you know, things didn't go according to plan. So we were going to be launching a more retail offering and they decided to um, kind of stop that initiative. And so I went to SA Taxi because I had got tired of a corporate. And SA gotcha. Taxi was a small entrepreneurial organization whose founders were really still quite involved in the business. Um, and I like the energy of kind of an entrepreneurial space. Yeah. It's, it's very fast moving you can do things quickly, um, and it's very rewarding in that way. Um, and I think, you know, the taxi business is actually a fascinating business in and of itself. Um, and so it was like a new area which I hadn't been exposed to, and it really introduced the mass market to me. Um, in APSA and at Discovery, they really, it was kind of the middle or the upper end of the market. Mm. But taxi really got me to understand better the mass market. But it was there where, you know, I, I saw like really entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs uh, at like close uh, hand. And, and it kind of demystified the idea of an entrepreneur for me. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of made me think that it would be possible for me to become an entrepreneur because it normalized it. Um, and so, you know, I got then the confidence of saying, okay, well, you know, maybe I can build a business outside a, a, a corporate. Um, and so SA Taxi, you know, not only provided me with the idea, because I, I came up with the idea while I was there that, you know, I then took um, and, and built a business around, but it's, um, but they also created the opportunity for me. So they were incredibly supportive um, and helped me in my efforts to, to kind of start my own business. Um, and then, of course, you know, just, you know, moving out of a corporate and actually starting things from scratch yourself, 
you know, it kind of confirms what you're good at, but it also really yeah. makes clear what you're not good at. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it <laughs> highlights a lot of the things that you don't know. Um, and so it's kind of like a crash course in learning a lot of things um, in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm at Momentum, so my business <laughs> did not succeed. Um, and so, you know, like my next step was moving into Momentum, going back into corporate, um, but taking with me a lot of the stuff that I've learned. And I think that that's really helped me, you know, build the business that I'm currently looking after uh, within Momentum Metropolitan. Yeah, you you have a lot of experience building new business concepts in the corporate world, which is capital intensive and the ability to access a lot of resources. How different was building a product on your own? You mentioned that you obviously learned a lot about yourself. It, it sounded like there were a lot of challenges maybe you didn't expect. What maybe would you have done differently and, and what did you learn from that? Yeah, sure, so much. Um, I think, you know, the difference between setting up a business in the corporate and setting up a business outside a corporate is that with in a corporate, generally the idea has originated from the corporate in some way or another. Mm. And they've often employed you. So they believe that maybe you can do it. You know, when you are on your own, you know, one of the biggest things that you need to do is access funding. Yeah. And through that journey, not only are you selling an idea, but you're also selling yourself. So, you know, the, the uh, people might think that the idea is great, but yeah. they might not think you are the right person to execute on it. Um, or they might think you're great, but not the idea. So you have to get kind of both happening at the same time. Um, and, I, and it's very tricky. Um, you know, I think from an, an ideas perspective, what I also learned while I'm trying to access funding myself is that like the idea has to be a particular type of idea. You know, it needs to fall within a range that it's sufficiently familiar to an investor that they can actually believe that it's going to be successful. Mm. So, so if your idea, you know, sits too far outside of what is known, uh, it becomes trickier to get that funding. Yeah. I, I think also what um, is important is the timing. Like when I um, started the business, you know, I was using the SA Taxi uh, network to create a platform that brought taxi commuters together with businesses. And the idea was compelling and people liked the idea. And at the beginning of the, the journey, I actually had a lot of interest um, and I got, a, a, you know, kind of funding at that particular point in time. Um, I think as you, you know, kind of go through the journey um, and you start deploying, if if the success isn't immediate or if the response that you're expecting is not there or not in line with the investor, you know, they're, they're, like they're, there's less appetite because investors don't really want to take the, the risk. They want something that is more sure and yeah. something where they're going to get their money back, which which obviously makes sense. So, so it's at that phase where things become, you know, pretty tricky. And, and that's where your business model really needs to be um, capital, you know, um, poor. I don't know if that's the right word. Instead of capital intensive. intensive yeah. 
Because you really have to find a way of being able to maintain your business while you are building sufficient evidence to demonstrate that it can be a successful business. And if it's so capital intensive, you know, you just don't have the ability to like then wait it out because either you are funding it and at some point your own funding comes to an end um, or you, you know, have to get funding from elsewhere and, you know, there's only at particular points will people, you know, put money in. So, so the business model, like in a corporate, uh, you know, corporates will continue to invest. They're prepared to wait for a longer period of time. They've already invested. So it's like a sunk cost. Uh, so your ability to have a business model that generates cash flow and profit over a long period of time is more acceptable. How could you have made the product idea cost less or be more possible to do with the funding that you had available? So so I had really, you know, I think made one of the the fundamental mistakes of really designing, you know, the Rolls Royce. So I had <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> I had like a platform which, you know, the taxi commuter could pretty much do a whole range of things. They could do research. They could watch adverts. They could buy content. They could buy data. They could buy airtime. They could get mm. vouchers. And and I, I landed it all at the same time. And to create that ecosystem was expensive. And so, you know, if I had to reflect back and think about it, I would have taken a single idea um, out of those many. I would have then created the platform in a way that wasn't, um, capital intensive. So what I did is I built two apps. I built an Android app and also built a BlackBerry app. Now, mm. like this was seven years ago. So BlackBerry was kind of the, uh, kind of the platform of choice, but it was a yeah. dying platform. Yeah. Um, and I really should have just used a web based, um, kind of mechanism to test the idea and, and then to see whether the device that we were putting in the taxis to almost create access whether if we had just put it in one taxi and tested it with one idea to see the taxi commuter's response and business's response, it would have um, saved, you know, a lot of time. It would have saved a lot of money. And you could have elaborated on the idea as time went by, like with the one concept, if that was successful, then maybe integrate the second idea and then elaborate on that. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, what I have found is like how, what you think is going to be successful aren't the things that are successful. <laughs> yes. you, you know, when you put something out there, it's the response that tells you where you need to go. Exactly. And because like I took everything at the same time, you know, I had run out of money to, to evolve it based on the response. You couldn't pivot, you couldn't tweak, yeah. Exactly. And, and then there was also, you know, I had spent a, a really a long time um, figuring out from the taxi commuter what they liked. So, so, you know, I did a lot of client insights. Uh, you know, they, they played around with the app to make sure that it was user friendly. But there was one like fundamental flaw in the process as well, which was like the downloading process. So the, the app, when the commuter got into using the app, you know, was easy to na- navigate. But because we were downloading the app from a device in the taxi, there was an extra step that needed to be done. And that just, that one extra step just created friction in the process for the taxi commuter that they just weren't prepared to navigate around it. 
And if I had known that one thing by actually having tested all of this in a taxi, you know, before building everything, mm. you know, it would have forced me to look at a different way of allowing the taxi commuter to access the same platform, but one that was easy to navigate throughout the process and not just kind of once they were in that particular platform. That makes sense. Start small um, and build from there. I think that that's really, really great advice for many people who are out there trying to build a business. Starting small, starting with an idea, and then as time goes by, hearing how consumers or, or customers are reacting to that, and then tweaking it from there. So I think that's really, really great advice. But now you're at Momentum. You, you've you set up a banking ecosystem. When you arrived, there was nothing. It didn't exist. And now over time, it, it's grown and it's at a stage where you can step back. How were you able to get to this place and, and really just see this, this ecosystem run on its own? Yeah, um, Stacey, I'm not sure it's at the stage yet where I can step back. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. But um, what we have done is we have created an ecosystem where I think we are positioned to leverage, you know, the strategic assets of Momentum Metropolitan um, in the in the delivery of products and new types of products, which which help them kind of solve some of the problems or strategic ambitions that they have. Um, and I think, like you know, thinking about it, there were a couple of things that I think have have got us to this point. And I think the first thing is how we thought about setting up the ecosystem. So, you know, I think that you you have a purpose. There's something that you're trying to achieve. Um, you have a business model in terms of how you're making money. Um, and then you have kind of a set of capabilities that you need in order to get you there. I think what is very important in what we did is that when we architected the business, um, we did it with a view from kind of flexibility because we didn't always know how exactly we were going to get there and what we were going to face in our journey there. And, and that flexibility for us to add capabilities, you know, remove capabilities, um, expand on capabilities or swap out capabilities has really allowed us over time to continue moving towards what we're trying to achieve, but taking into account the different things that we face along the way. Mm. So, so the setup of your architecture is, is really important when you're thinking about an ecosystem. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, you need to be very clear on, which I think we have been clear on, is what's called to us, you know, where do we need strategic partners and what can just be transactional? Yeah. And, and like when you figure out what's core to you, you know, that is How really do you tell fun. the difference? Well, core, well, for us, core meant that we would always be able to reach our ambition no matter what uh, changed around us because we controlled that. As part of our, our destiny, it wasn't dependent on somewhere else. So I'll, I'll tell you the example that um, I'm, I'm mentioning is that in our effort to take banking products to market, we decided that the core account would sit within our own ecosystem. And so we wouldn't leverage the core accounts of someone else. So we had to set it up, manage it. We had to deal with the interfaces into that core account. And that allowed us to, um, because our proposition is based on a lot of integration, always control 
the prioritization, the speed and the effectiveness of integration into that. But everything around it could be plug and play. So we could plug and play a card management system. We could do the same for digital payments. We could do the same for EFT bureaus. So we were then able to um, kind of determine um, or, or kind of hold on to what we thought we needed to be good at and what may gave us a competitive advantage, but then look around for kind of the best strategic partner to help us with the other things that we could plug and play in. Um, and then look at where we could outsource, where it's not necessarily a strategic partnership, but you're using someone else to deliver. So so when you are creating an ecosystem, you, you really don't and shouldn't own everything and you shouldn't have to have the capability to build everything. And I think lots of organizations like the idea of owning everything. And so, you know, when you can move away from that as an idea and recognize that there are other parties there that are very good at certain things, which you will never be as good as. And if you are able to partner with them and you've got a similar way of doing business, you've got a similar way of thinking, you know, it really adds immense value to to what you are doing. Um, So your strategic partnerships are really, really important. And, you know, I think the one thing that I've also, you know, kind of have appreciated more as we have been going through this journey is really how do you um, kind of get a win-win so, you know, your ecosystem is only ever going to be as successful as the success of everyone in that ecosystem. Yeah. And so that that is also something that, you know, it's not a win or lose. You you have to find a way where as, you know, kind of businesses grow, both parties benefit equally. And, and I think from a corporate perspective, you know, often, you know, you get external people who want to do business with you and mm. they will kind of discount their pricing to get in. But over time, it's just not sustainable. And so like as a corporate, you have to be very careful about that. But you need to make sure that that provider is actually going to make business money because if they don't, you know, it also impacts your business. And so, you know, it's a, it's kind of a balance that you need to kind of have. Definitely. There's so many elements that contribute to when you outsource. There's the time factor. It takes time to ramp up to the level an outsourced firm produces. There's the capital aspect where it can be cheaper. Then there's the obvious skill component. And and at the end of the day, it comes down to the optimal way to build the ecosystem. Absolutely. And I mean, you can't afford to do it all yourself. I mean, as you, as you mentioned, then it just doesn't make sense. And then the final question I have is related to the fact that throughout your career in fintech, you've been in positions where women have been underserved. Either women haven't been in your positions previously or there haven't been many women around you. Did you feel supported by your peers in every stage along the way? And and how did you navigate the challenges? Yeah, I think, Stacey, you know, at different times in your career, uh, you know, organizations respond to you differently as a female. And certainly in the beginning of my my career, you know, I felt very supported by my peers. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there were always a lot of microaggressions. You know, you you do the admin tasks and don't yeah. get listened to as much. But, you know, you just assume that's part of being junior in that role. And so, mm-hmm. you know, not that conscious about it. Um, but, but as you get... Um, kind of in a position of power, 
I think then the organization starts to respond differently to you because you're no longer acting on behalf of someone else who is generally a male, but mm. you're now, you know, are acting on your own behalf. Um, and I think what is, which is tricky is that often people don't consciously or unconsciously believe that females deserve to be in a, a, a position of power, but they've also got a very narrow like frame of reference of mm. what a female leader should be. Uh, and so it's quite hard to fit that description. Um, and so I think what, you know, people or female leaders battle with is getting labeled. So mm. I think you often get labeled. You're either, you know, too aggressive or you are not assertive enough or, you know, there's so many different things that you get named. And so you spend your time, you know, kind of having to deal with the label um, kind of a lot. So, so that can be, you know, kind of, um, distracting. Um, and then it can also lead to, you know, one questioning yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose the positive from that is that, you know, you do get a lot of feedback. Uh, and if you take what is true, you know, it does help you become a better leader. Um, but there's certainly levels of feedback that your male counterpart uh, does not receive to the same extent. How do you weed out the noise? I think that's quite hard. Um, I think you have to know who you are um, and you also have to be self-aware. Yeah, comfortable with who you are, you know. So, and you know, there's also something, my one boss told me this once and I loved it. She said, you know, you, you're allowed to have an allowable weakness. You know, mm. we're not perfect. So, you know, there are things about you that may be too much. You know, and, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, just be yes. conscious of this and like manage around it. So I think it's like, as you say, it's self-awareness, but like don't try and be something that you're not. Mm. So be authentic, like just try and get better every day, you know, but um, yeah, you, 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 you have a right to be there. Uh, you have a right to be who you are um, and you need to believe that. And I think if you do all of those things, uh, then you you become settled, um, and then you know the noise becomes less, and uh, you you find it easier to navigate. Awesome, Megan! Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Uh, I always love getting to chat to you. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Oh, I think they can just go to LinkedIn and look at Megan Harrison. Um, and if they're interested to understand what um, Momentum is doing, they can also go to uh, and find out more about Multiply Money. Awesome. Thanks again. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.